I'm Justin Grunewald. I'm from Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Live in Boulder, three quarters time. I'm a, I guess, semi-pro trail runner, or I hate the word like elite, but a relative semi-accomplished trail runner. On top of that, I'm a full-time physician, work in Minneapolis, train in Boulder. So best of both worlds. I think my partner Amanda Basham has been on the show, and then we have two little girls, Rylan and Maeve. But outside of that, um, I also help run a foundation called Brave Like Gabe, which focuses on rare cancer research. And that's kind of the gist of who I am. Yeah, I guess being like a semi-pseudo professional athlete is better than like an influencer or something, right? Exactly. I think <laughs> my professional athleticism was kind of built on having an Instagram following, but then I think I progressively got better at the running side and progressively worse at the influencing side, which... <laughs> isn't the most enjoyable thing in the world and now here we are yeah here we are and uh i guess for those who don't know like you um you took a month off of, of alcohol right this january yeah after um two to three years of wanting to haphazardly do dry january but definitely not being capable of it for my own reasons um finally bit the bullet did dry January. I think it's February 5th and remarkably still am dry, which I think has gotten easier. I still would love to crack a beer, but now I have a race coming up in two weeks. So based on the training effect I've noted from it, I'm keeping it clean until February 17th. And I'll definitely have some celebration beers after. Definitely. So like, before we get into like the training effects and, and everything, let's talk about like why. Like why did you decide to do dry January? Because you said it took you a few years to actually get to that moment. So like was there a specific tipping point where you're like, I should take a month off, or was this something you've been thinking about for a long time? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been thinking about it for a long time. In healthcare, my profession as a hospitalist, a doctor that takes care of people in the hospital. Um midway through the pandemic and now post-pandemic. A exponential increase in admissions for substance abuse, be it alcoholic related, we call it alcoholic hepatitis, where your liver essentially implodes from large amounts of alcohol, um, fentanyl related, like inject injection, overdose, infection, all those things. Um, so a part of me felt a little hypocritical, but also very relatable to these people coming in. Granted, I wasn't drinking to the degree of liver failure, but Still, I'm a 140-pound dude. Like uh, Drinking four, 8 to 10% IPAs a night is more than plenty for the general public. I think that's probably equivalent to like eight Coors Lights. Um, the people coming in with the full-blown like liver failure are usually like a liter of vodka a day. And vodka is usually the drink of choice, I think, which I've always found interesting because vodka is terrible. But once you have that addiction... Um, kind of they drink it like water i guess but outside of the health effects feeling a little hypocritical but at the same time empathetical um i really wanted the data is all out there like we know it doesn't help performance so here i am this like paid athlete over the last three years drinking and hindering my performance but at the same time i legitimized it because i have terrible insomnia i have previous like life trauma that can make it hard to sleep. I work shift work. So I work a week of overnights and then I have three weeks off. But when I get 
off on Monday, the odds of me going to bed at 9, 10, 11 p.m. are very small. So usually sit and drink beer and watch Netflix until I'm ready to pass out, then wake up with a hangover. And then think I'm going to not do that by the end of the week, but it just carries over until my next work. But the thing that really inspired it, I guess, was had a lot of contract talks with some shoe companies and um, feeling my worth to them was less than my worth to myself. But then looking introspectively and being like, I mean, at the end of the day, we're a small niche of people that give a large care about trail running, but it's not the NFL. It's not the NBA. Like it's not like no one's paying billions of dollars to watch us on TV. But I was like, maybe I'm not that good and I know I can be better. So I decided I'm going to go all in and try to be better, I guess. Yeah. Was that like a, a hard moment to like sit down with yourself and be like, Hey, I need to stop doing this because it's affecting my performance and, or just my life in general. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of it is just denial. Like I know the sleep data. I know the recovery data. I know the one thing was I didn't know the difference in feel. So I didn't have that piece of the puzzle because in reality, I drank two beers, three beers, four beers, literally every night I wasn't working. And when you wake up from a 12-hour overnight shift, you go to bed at 6 a.m., wake up at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., noon, like get your five hours sleep, you feel like garbage. And then I carried that over into my non-work life where drink four beers, wake up at 9 a.m., feel like garbage. And I'm like, that's just how you feel when you wake up in your 30s. <laughs> but then. I think like, honestly, January 3rd, I woke up and I was like, I slept like seven hours. We have two little girls and I felt phenomenal. And I was like, wow, like, that's crazy. Like, I haven't felt like this in a morning in four years. So that was enough data right there. And then it just continued on, like my recovery, my ability to like pound out workouts and recover. Like Amanda coaches me. We do like a little, um, she calls it like a training camp. So it's like equivalent of your race over three days. So I think I did like 65 to 70 miles in a three-day period with some hard running, some easy running and a mix. And like, I felt like I could have tagged like another 30 mile day on the end of it, like, and just felt great. So the data just based on my own personal feedback was more than enough to carry me through to keep not drinking beer. But I do love beer, so it's hard. Yeah, I think that it's really interesting. I think a lot of people will kind of like discount like an N equals one experiment. But but I guess apart from that, though, there are tons of data showing that like alcohol is just not good for you. And it's interesting how normalized it is in society, like especially in like an endurance sports where everyone's like, oh, I just did this race. I'm going to have a beer or we just did a workout. Let's have a beer after. It's like every group run has alcohol afterwards. And then. It's like, I think we all know deep down that it's not a good thing for us, but then it's so normal and it's just, you just do it because everyone else is doing it, right? Yeah. And I even like, I could lie to myself because I could wear like a wearable device that showed like my HRV and those things. And working like a night shift versus drinking all night is pretty equivalent in your recovery. It's garbage. But I was like, look, it's the same, but obviously they're very different circumstances. So 
again, it was just like the denial piece of it all. And now I think having like REM sleep for the first time in years is literally like taking EPO. I'm just like, holy cow. Like I feel very good. That's so interesting. I guess it just really validates like how important sleep is. Like I think I read somewhere that like sleep is the most anabolic thing you can do. And like, and it makes sense. Like it's essentially free and it's like one of the most important things you can do for your training. Yeah. And it's not just sleep. It's like that RAM deep sleep cycle where you're really recovering, you're releasing the hormones you need for recovery and alcohol and other substances just completely obliterate that. So like you could, I wore like Amanda's aura ring a couple nights and my REM sleep is now like off the charts. I feel like my body's like in overdrive, just making up for all the loss. Your body's probably stoked right now. It's like, oh, we're finally getting some like real recovery in. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk, like, before we started recording, we were chatting a little bit about the WHO, like the World Health Organization. And as you being a doctor, you like you follow all like all the recommendations and stuff, or you listen to them, I should say. Like, like what were you saying before we started recording and how has that affected you? Yeah. Um, so essentially, almost exactly a year ago, the World Health Organization released data or a recommendation essentially that switched the alcohol recommendation previously growing up my whole life it's been said by the medical profession that one to two drinks for like a male one drink for a female a day is perfectly acceptable in some scenarios everything like changes like i think when we were probably younger they're like are eggs healthy or are eggs unhealthy like like just the nuance of that but during certain times they're like glass of red wine is very heart healthy like we recommend it but who essentially in this past year changed their recommendation to recommending zero alcohol finding significant carcinogenic effect meaning cancer causing effect um and i knew this data all year and still drank all year because at the times i thought drinking brought me happiness it definitely brings me um a decreased stress level, but not necessarily happiness. But I'm like, we're all going to die. Like, I'm an asshole in general, so I'll probably live forever regardless, which being on the medical side, living forever can definitely suck. But uh, now seeing that data, I think it will very closely parallel cigarettes over the next 20 years where we have this data. And um, initially, cigarettes were thought to be healthy, like surgeons and operating rooms are smoking their cigarettes. I mean, cigarettes are great for curbing appetite, but not necessarily great for lung cancer risk, emphysema risk, those things. And alcohol obviously doesn't have the emphysema side, but it has a large, it seems, carcinogenic burden. So I would assume in the next 10 years, when you buy alcohol, there will be a cancer warning on the can or on the bottle uh, moving forward. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I find it super interesting how, like, I think everyone knows that alcohol can, like, I think everyone knows that alcohol is, like, it's bad for your brain. Like, you get hungover, you get drunk, you can't drive, you can't do all these things. Yet it's so, like, prevalent. Like, you can, like, in Arizona, you can just buy it at a, at a grocery store. Like, there's aisles and aisles of liquor. You can go to any gas station, just buy beer, which is wild considering, like, DUIs are illegal, yet you can kind of combine these two things, like a car with gasoline and then alcohol in that same shop. And then go drive. Like I'm not saying yeah. you should by any means, but like the fact that the those two like ingredients are there, 
it's just a recipe for disaster, but it's so interesting that it's just, it's just normal. Like no one thinks twice about it really. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty backwards. I mean, I, yeah, even driving through certain States, it's like they almost have like a beer slushy machine, like, or like you can like just fill your mixed drink or something. Yeah. I think it's like in Wyoming or something, there's a bunch of like drive through liquor stores like that. And the first time I saw that, I was just like blown away. I'm like, how is this possible that you can just like just like going like to McDonald's, you can just go like get a burger, but instead you can get alcohol like just into your vehicle. It's wild. Yeah, and talking brain health, I mean, there's a lot of data showing significant increase in dementia with alcohol use. So, I mean, if we're talking about all the different things that kill you, obviously carcinogenic, dementia risk, and then you throw in the average American at this point is probably obese. I haven't looked at the most recent published data, but probably are. So just empty calories leading to obesity, leading to heart disease, leading to type 2 diabetes. So it's all just not great. Yeah, it's super interesting. And like, I don't know, like it's so interesting because I think like sugar, for example, like people will call that an empty calorie. So it's like you're eating like gummy candy or something. Like, yeah, it is, but there's still like some sort of like potential benefit benefit to it as it can give you energy where alcohol is just like literally empty calories like it's not doing anything for you so like it's causing to the obesity problem and then it's contributing to fatty liver disease all these issues and yet people just don't want to stop it it's it's so strange it is strange yeah yeah but um like how i don't know like this obviously it's only been like a month or so but like have you felt like your relationship with your kids and, and amanda have been better just simply because like you're feeling better now? I think yes and no. I think um, <laughs> there's been a lot of external stress in the past two or three months. I think every, again, I say like in quotation marks, like professional athlete, like Amanda and I came to the end of a contract period. Contract negotiations are stressful. Um, with that stuff but i do think like the ability to be more present and again i'm never the last time i was like blackout drunk like blitz drunk was like years ago so i'm never like drinking to the point of like not remembering i'm having like two beers before the kids go to bed to if you've ever been around a one-year-old and a three-year-old, like they'll raise your cortisol level like no other, just the screams, the shrieks, the punching in the head. So the main reason was to keep cool. But I actually think my um, ability to keep cool as like from a retrospective study is better not drinking. Like you're just not as prone to like, get super upset over something i think like the liability and emotions involved with drinking is definitely worse so i do think that helps and just being more present alcohol like fogs memories like these are memories i'm going to want to always have like having our girls little spending every night together tucking them in reading bedtime stories like when you're doing that with a buzz i just don't think the recollection of it is nearly as good do you know, like, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, but do you know how, like, alcohol affects your brain? Because, like, I have no idea, like, why it affects, like, memories and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's more toxin-based, um, the metabolism of alcohol, like, ethanol and, like, acetaldehyde, like, those byproducts, per se, like, the same things that lead to the hangover are also just 
poorly metabolized and I believe cause the cognitive effects. But I can get you like a Krebs cycle or some like gluconeogenesis style um, data if you want after this. I'd have to re-get into my med student brain. <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting. Like I... I don't know. I just, I find it interesting because like I grew up in like a very conservative family. My parents, I, like they never drink or anything. And, and so it always just like hear it growing up. It's just like, yeah, like don't drink. It's bad for you. But then like once I go, go to college and stuff, you see how everyone is just drinking, like it's normalized so much. And then, and then like, as I get older now, it's like, oh wow, like maybe my parents were right. Like if they were right, because like it, it is as bad for you. Like you are literally ingesting a toxin and your body has to deal with it somehow. So like instead of recovering or doing something else, your body has to deal with the poison that you're purposely taking in for basically like a few moments of, of quote unquote happiness. Yeah, definitely. And I can like, I think just posting about something like alcohol on Instagram is polarizing. And I think the main takeaway I had, which I still haven't, redrank again but moderation is key i mean even i believe like i don't want to be quoted because i am a medical professional but the like number essentially to like make it cost effective talking about cigarette use so once you hit 20 pack years that's a pack a day for 20 years that's when we start recommending CT scan screening of your chest to look for lung cancer. So that's the threshold. So like, I think a lot of people think like, I smoke one cigarette, I'm going to get cancer, but that's not the case at all. I'm not saying you should go smoke cigarettes. But the fact that it takes 20 pack years kind of blows my mind that you can smoke for 10 years, and your increased risk is pretty negligible. Granted, it has other effects like emphysema that we're not screening for. But so again, like alcohol in moderation and celebration at a holiday, a family gathering, like I'm not saying you should do it, but it's a lot less harmful than the daily drinker turning into the bitch drinker. And I think the biggest problem with alcohol is your tolerance just goes up. The more you drink, the more you need. And then it just escalates and escalates and escalates. So the dry January, I always scoffed at it, but it is a good reset, like reset your tolerance, reset your gauge, reset your need. And I think like studies show it's like 12 to 13 days to break a habit. So even if you can just set a goal to make it that far, it might do wonders for you. Was that hard though, initially to go like the 12 to 13 days, even knowing those data, like suggesting that? Oh, really hard. The perfect thing was, I think January started on like a, say it was a Sunday. So I went six days and then I went straight into a work week when it gets really hard and I can't drink when I'm working. I'm working 12 hour overnights. So then I think days like seven through 13, I was in the hospital sleeping, running and alcohol really doesn't cross my mind then. But that pushed me through like the critical moment. Yeah. And then it was make... like feeling good. So I'm like, I'm, I think I came back and just like hammered out a workout, like best workout I've had in a few years. I'm like, this really works or something's going on. Yeah, let's talk more about the performance aspect. So we did t touch on it a little bit initially, but like, like what kind of gains did you see? Like just straight up better energy levels or like inflammation or whatever? Or was it just 
And did you monitor it or did you just kind of go anecdotally with it? So, I mean, my, I'm pretty simplistic in my monitoring. I, I really don't like wearables personal, personally, they drive me crazy. Like if I'm wearing a wearable to sleep, I'm going to sleep worse inevitably. Cause I noticed that, um, it probably takes a breakthrough period to get used to it, but comparing data, like same workout from a few years ago, um, in obviously differences in temperature and differences in like snow, all that stuff. But the biggest thing, like doing like two by 30 minute tempo, I think when I'm drinking, even my mind wanders or I'll focus on like the hurt of it. And in reality, since I've cut out the alcohol, it's more like having to hold myself back in these workouts. And I'm like, just keep texting Amanda. Like, I don't want to overcook it. I don't want to overcook it. Cause like they're going better than they ever have. And it really doesn't make sense to me. It's not like I'm like drinking a bunch of athletic greens or some BS that like claims can give you like a 1% enhancement. So the only thing that's changed is the lack of alcohol. Everything else is the same, same shoes, same nutrition, same kids screaming and just Again, N of one is complete garbage for a study, but my N of one has been a phenomenal study and improvement. No, it's interesting. I think like at a certain point, the N equal one, like it becomes a data set. Like so many people are doing that where like, I don't think like, they quit alcohol, for example, and then everyone is just, yeah, like I feel better, I feel better, I feel better. And then now there are more studies like backing that up. And like, I think in like in our sport now, like just endurance sports in general, has it become more competitive like things like this are going to add up and be important because like maybe it is just like a half a percent gain in something, but that could be the difference between a podium spot and, and nothing. Right. Definitely. And um, I think I was listening to Mario Fraioli and Dylan Bowman. Mario used to coach me and I think they have like a pretty good take on the sport, but like yesterday I listened to their annual update and uh, he, Dylan was commenting on how John Ray, who's a local here in Boulder and like Hayden Hawks, how they're like the epitome of the professionalization of trail running. Like they eat, sleep, breathe trail running, you know, like run sauna, gym session, cycle session, run again. Like it's, it's an eight hour a day job and they're really talented. Like, I feel like I'm really talented, so I can't really handicap myself if I want to race these guys. Yeah. That's a, like a really good point. And, I think as the sport becomes more professional, people are going to look into these things a lot more, whether it's just like your nutrition or just whatever, or yeah, just anything yeah. really. Yeah. Nutrition studies are phenomenal. And these companies like investing in athletes and sponsoring athletes, like I'm out here trialing and erroring, but you're getting like very specific sweat testing, caloric needs. Like I think Tom Evans is probably one of the most scientific, which seems like a Red Bull sponsorship gets you that with all their crazy data and studies. But uh, it's definitely, I think sometimes, most of the time it's good. I think it can come back and hurt you if he like were to notice his body temperature rose two degrees and start stressing over that stuff. Yeah, it was interesting. Like I did a podcast with Tom after um, he won States last year. And like I, I kind of knew him briefly, just not like just random DMs on Instagram, but nothing really. And it was interesting to see like how professional he was with everything, like leading up to the event. He's like, okay, this many carbs, like pre-race, like no fiber, whatever, this is my meal. 
And then like everything was dialed throughout the race. It wasn't just like, oh, I'll eat when I'm hungry or drink when I'm thirsty. It was like, okay, this no. many carbs per hour. Like I'll take my ketones here, my, my gels here, whatever, whatever here. And it was really interesting versus some other people that are just kind of like, yeah, I'll just wing it and see what happens. Totally. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's fun though. Like I've gotten more into like cycling recently and it's interesting to see like how intense they are with, with everything because like all these little numbers matter, like like a water two of power yeah. here. Like it, it's wild. And then to see like the results too is like, it's super nuts. And I kind of feel like trail running is going to go that direction at a certain point where it's like when I remember when, what year was it? Like when there was like three guys on the track at the finish of States where everyone finished like super close. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like that was nuts. And like, it's just those kind of instances remind or just make me think about how like the sport is getting just so competitive now. And like, if we want to do well, we need to like focus on these little things, obviously like the major things like matter too, obviously, but like at a certain point, these little things just start adding up to like big gains. Yeah. I mean, take every legal advantage where you can get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's emphasize the legal part here. <laughs> I mean, that's the other scary part is it gets more professionalized and more money more and more doping moves in but that's a whole another topic yeah another topic for another day <laughs> but um let's just talk about like um like the effect on alcohol or the effects of alcohol in society as a whole because like we mentioned earlier it is very normalized it's just like a thing everybody does like you, you go to a race and everyone's drinking no one's really smoking it's kind of a thing in europe but not so much here but like like, what are the, like, the major downfalls of drinking um, for society? I mean, I think the, probably our society, again, if you were to compare societies, our society is very different than Europe. Um, I think the biggest issue is alcohol, at the end of the day, is a lethal drug. Um, lots. I, I don't know the exact data because we're living in it right now. But as I alluded to the severe substance abuse, the alcoholic cirrhosis, the alcoholic hepatitis, um, those things, your liver is a vital organ and alcohol poisons your liver. And once you get to a certain threshold, your liver can't recover. The liver is the only organ you have that can regenerate. So finding moderation is a huge key. But if you can't, then your liver turns into a raisin and can't detoxify your blood and can't do much. So that's what we're seeing a lot of in the hospital, people who started drinking heavily in isolation during the pandemic, which I don't think, I think as a nation, we failed to realize that isolation isn't great for everyone. It's really bad for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people seeing their therapist once a month via Skype versus getting out of the house and seeing them where frankly you'll have a patient come into the ER and you can smell the booze like two rooms down um, they're blowing like a 0.5 like their blood alcohol contents off the charts but that's their new stage of sober which is crazy so those are the severe cases the more mild cases I think will be as you alluded to like just smoking cigarettes like the few beers a day will find a correlation in the male and female that drink three to four drinks a day with higher rates of specific, more like gastrointestinal cancers. Obviously, cirrhosis leads to hepatocellular carcinoma, liver cancer. But um, 
having kids, I mean, that's scary. Being a huge advocate for rare cancer research, looking for cures, again, looking for treatments, like it's hypocritical of me to uh, be drinking every night and be doing that. So my big take is, again, moderation and just do hopefully what's best for you. And as a society, we'll learn more in the coming years. This will be, I mean, I'm not breaking any ground. This study or recommendation came out a year ago, so I'm a year removed even discussing it. Um, but it really wasn't overly published. And I think I don't want everyone to have like this distrust of their government or their healthcare provider, but there's a lot of money in alcohol. And there's a reason some of these things don't surface to headline news, the front of the newspaper. And I think this will eventually. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that, like you're saying, moderation is key with everything. And I think it's easy for people just to go to the extremes with everything. Like, I'm going to be like 100% raw vegan or 100% carnivore or never drink alcohol or never do this, never do that. Like, like even like with like endurance sports, like, yeah, obviously it's a little bit of a ex- little excessive to go run 100, 120 miles a week or something. But like, I don't know. I think in general, we need to moderate things and just not stress out too much about stuff because like, like stress can be just as deadly as, as drinking alcohol, for example. Yeah. And again, I'm, again, I call myself a realist, probably a bit on the cynical side, but a guy who I met at Canyons, 100K, he did the 100 mile. He's a physician. I think he practiced in California. I'd seen the World World Health Recommendation nine months ago. He re- he sent me that study. He's like physician to physician, like zero alcohol is the recommendation. And I'm like, I'm like, I totally understand that. But you ran 100 miles at Canyons. That's really bad for you. Like me drinking a beer is healthier than running 100 miles. I mean, again, I don't have objective data to say that's bad for you but we all know running 100 miles is not good for you like in 110 degree weather 100 miles completely trashing like kidneys can only take so much damage like i i don't know so i'm just like the sun is really bad for me in colorado we don't have an ozone layer like this that and another thing like god knows the pesticides i take in every time i microwave my leftovers in plastic I do a ton of stuff that's bad for me not thinking about it. So I just have to find what I can survive that's bad for me. Like, I'm not going to live forever. I have no objective to live forever. Yeah, it's actually, like, the other day I was just thinking about how, like, all these longevity experts are just kind of scammers. I know this is, like, super off topic. But it was, like, so... To be canceled a million times. No offense. I love Jonathan (laughs) Levitt. I think Inside Tracker could be good, but... Them like selling you your lifeline in a tube of blood is such garbage. Yeah, I would totally agree. And then, like all these people online, like was like Peter Atia or these guys, like I'm a longevity expert. It's like, how do you know people can live to be 150? Or like Dave Asprey, for example, he's like, I'm gonna live some like insane number of years. I'm like, well, you look like garbage. Number one, but then two, it's like, how do you know that's gonna work? Like because you're taking 10,000 supplements a day, like it doesn't make any sense. Your quantity versus quality will eventually run out. And regardless of it all, like the brain is a friable substance. Like they, I mean, something's going to give. Sure. I mean, maybe in our lifetime, people will live to 120, but I've seen a ton of old people. I've seen a ton of old, healthy people. And you want to know what the most depressing thing in the world is? To outlive all your friends and family and then have 
your kids pass before you were some, like, and I don't know, like it's all hard and it all adds up. So if I make 75, I'll be perfectly happy. And I, I'm like, again, it's an unhealthy population I see in the hospital, but sometimes more isn't always the right answer. Yeah, 100%. So let's just talk a little bit about like non-alcoholic beers because like you sent me a couple DMs of like different ones that you had found. And I think it's awesome. And like, I was just at Safeway last night and they had like athletic brewing there, which is like super cool. So like, I think it's cool. There's like this push now for like, just to create more like good tasting non-alcoholic beers. So like, what did you substitute? Like, did you just go all in and like find something awesome or what'd you do? So yeah, initially the first two weeks, I didn't actually drink non-alcoholic beer just because I was trying to like clear everything. Like I still feel like, like that. the sad part is like, I think it's part addiction to the state of mind, the buzz, the relaxation effect. But I love beer. Like I love the taste of beer, like in good, like a good hazy IPA. There's nothing better in my opinion. Like, if I was on a desert island, that'd be what I'd be drinking until <laughs> I ran out of time. So I did. Um, I think, again, it's hard. Like if you're like a Pilsner lager drinker, I think a lot of different NA companies have pretty quality, um, like just basic beers like your Coors Light. It was actually funny. Um, Eric LaPuma, he's running Black Canyon. He's a great runner. In all respects, but he said he used to work in like beverage distribution. He said, like dollar for dollar, Budweiser NA is the most like authentic replication of regular beer, which totally makes sense because I mean Budweiser's been brewing forever. But uh this local company, they don't pay me. I actually like messaged them on Instagram because I was like, I don't want to pay twelve bucks a six pack for this crap, but it's actually really good. It's called Groovy. <laughs> They didn't write me back. They don't want me to be an influencer. So <laughs> I'll keep buying my groovy. It's like just, it's called, I think it's called like Juicy IPA. Um, founded at Whole Foods, actually. Uh, really like that. I actually had a guy message me from one of the like hop water companies. So he said he'd send me because they did, did a short run of New Zealand hops, which are my favorite hops. Um, it wasn't like distributed to stores, but he sent me a small pack of that. So I'm super excited to get some New Zealand hops in and then I'm going to New Zealand. So I'm going to have to drink a couple. Um, Nelson is my favorite hop. It's like people taste it a little differently. It's like a very, some people hate it. Some people love it. And I love it. My buddy Brandon calls it cat pee because he thinks it tastes like cat pee, but I get like a little bit of like bubblegum flavor. Um, and I just really like it. So I'll be drinking some Nelson in moderation after my race in New Zealand. But uh, yeah, the NA market is like off the charts. Amanda's actually, I think, going to be passing out some NA beer down at Black Canyon. Uh, she had messaged the company. She read the World Health Organization thing, and she takes that stuff seriously, as I think a human should. So she's actually, I feel bad. Amanda probably didn't drink before she met me. Then she met me and drank way more. And now she's like, we're both refining our non-drunk self i guess you are an influencer at least on like one person yeah <laughs> oh, it's interesting like how 
I don't know, like, because I used to travel like a ton for work, it was just like all the time, just in different countries and stuff. And it was really fun to like, to try different alcohols in different places. Like, okay, this is the traditional drink in Greece. And this is the one in Australia, New Zealand, whatever. But then like, I also kind of felt the, not to the same extent as you, but like I would drink and then travel in these time zone changes. And it's like, just flying when number one is really hard, but then when you're adding alcohol on top of that, like at first it sounds fun, but then you're just like, oh man, I just feel like garbage all the time. But like that said though, it is cool to like experience the local like culture in that way. And it is like a, like a social lubricant, if you want to say that. It's like, it's fun to like meet people from that area and like experience something that they love so much with them. Yeah. I mean, in life, I've met some of my best friends sitting at a brewery by myself and like we've become like long-term friends. They're not at all runners or fitness junkies or anything like that. They like beer and we have a lot of like, um, similar interests yeah that's super cool so like uh, what's up next for you then like apart from um going to tarwire like do you have a big schedule for the year running wise yeah i mean i today i still don't have a sponsorship thing worked out which is totally reasonable i think it's a little bit of a fairy tale to uh i've i felt like such like an entitled person now looking back like the last two months i had like a bit of a contract offer it was less than i thought it would be and i didn't really pursue much so i took that as like good meaning i was bad at running or something which it doesn't really like it's such a privilege to get paid to do this sport and i have a full-time job like i can afford to do this sport like everyone else pays to do this sport pay an entry fee do this that so tara wire is number one i've always wanted to go UTMB, the evil empire, which I mean, I get it. I actually like, I messaged Gary Robbins and I was like, I'm going to Tarawara. I feel a little sheepish about it. Like, how can I make myself feel better? He didn't write back. I'm sure he's a busy guy, but uh, they offered me travel money. Um, I think Daniel Jones is running the 100K. I think he was probably, I'd say he was like a top 15 trail runner in the world last year. Uh, so excited to race him. I think there'll be a good field of people I don't know. I really wanted to do Black Canyon, but work got in the way. I work the whole week and weekend of Western. So going for a golden ticket feels like some very painful objective if I have to turn it down anyway. So it's probably not my year for Western states. So looking into maybe like a Leadville, um, different races that make me happy, then probably a late season golden ticket race. If it's Grindstone again or Havelina 100, I've wanted to do Havelina 100 for a while, but uh, had this lingering hamstring issue that 100 miles in sand had me a little worried about. So uh, I think I'll probably finally step up and do Havelina 100, which is a race right in my wheelhouse, a fast race. Um, I like more hills than it has, but I think I can run fast. And then it's just like accommodating to the heat and not drinking too much beer the night before. <laughs> well, it sounds like you uh, kind of figured that part out anyways. Exactly. Yeah, like The UTMB thing is interesting. Another off-topic thing, because I've been talking to a few people about it, and it's, it's interesting how like it got really polarized and divided like really quickly. But I think like people are going to just kind of like forget about that, honestly, like most things where like there's like internet rage for a month. But then, like, people want to be where the competition is. And then, like, in just all honesty, like, if you want to advance your career, you kind of have to run UTMB events, right? Like, like nobody cares if you're going to go out and win, like, 
whatever local 50k because it, it doesn't matter but like if you win like occ or ccc like that can really catapult your career yeah and that's like the gist of it i don't i don't think um killian and zach they sent this letter out they didn't i don't think they meant anything harmful by it but for killian and zach they're huge influencers in the space they're also very accomplished but they've also both podiumed at UTMB, Killian winning, Zach getting second under UTMB Ironman, not UTMB alone. Like they've benefited from the regimen that was set in place three years ago. And they're both six figure athletes. I'm a guy hoping to make maybe 10, 20K running, you know? So like their voice versus my voice, like if I go, even top 10 at like, I think I was 12th at OCC two years ago, but like if I can go top 10 at a CCC, OCC, UTMB, like I'm probably like a 25, 30 K a year athlete. So I don't think they have the recognition of the star. And again, I'm not a starving athlete. I like get paid very well as a physician, but there's so many guys that are in my wheelhouse that just need that breakthrough. And then they can maybe, work half time at the running shoe store and focus on running and then maybe become the next Zach or Killian. So I felt it was a little deaf on their part to recommend all of us boycott a race when they're clearly very well-paid, accomplished athletes who are a large part there by doing well at UTMB. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, like just with like internet stuff, I think people will read maybe just a headline or one small part of a story and not know all the details and i'm guilty of this just like everybody else but like maybe we just heard like gary's point of view or the ski resource point of view or utmb's point of view but like there's so much nuance and detail there and i it's so easy just to jump on a bandwagon and then forget about it and like form an opinion and then never change that opinion but i don't know i don't want to call anybody out here but i think we all do that yeah we do definitely and i'm like fully in support of the smaller local races like I think those are a ton of fun. But again, as you said or alluded to, they don't always pay the bills for the aspiring sponsored athlete. Definitely. And like just last year I was with, with Jeff Browning quite a bit when he was doing the Rocky Mountain Slam. And like all those events are just like super old school. And it was really fun because it really reminded me of like just how cool ultra running is at the core. Like I, I love the elite aspect of it. Like it's so cool to go to UTMB or States or something to see people just throw down. But at the same time, they're like going to like Bighorn 100, which is like no nonsense, no frills event. It was so fun just to hang out there and just meet like normal people and like hang out with like cowboys watching ultra running. They were just like, like, why would you do this? And it was it was fun to see that side of, of running again. Yeah. And just more of the like old school, not the like, I think it's so interesting when you go to UTMB and you walk into the shoe store or the sports store and it's literally everyone's dropping a thousand dollars on a brand new kit for race i'm just like the amount of money like it blows my mind like it's an expensive sport and then you get to like bighorn and people are like making their own pack out of old jeans or something <laughs> yeah exactly like it was so funny like when jeff finished like the, R the rd like didn't even know who he was she's like oh yeah this is like jeff guy whatever and she like brought like homemade like mac and cheese or something to the finish line like 
all this stuff. And it was just super cool to like just chill at the park and just everybody was there. Like, I just like that aspect of running. But at the same time, though, like I do love going to States and just watching people just run hard. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, um, I think hopefully all athletes, I mean, Jeff's elite in his own, obviously elite, like has won more races than I've run, <laughs> but, uh, it's cool for him to delve into all that stuff. But I hope the like super pros can also find time to do those races. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's wrap it up here then, man. It was fun talking to you about like your life for the last month or so. It's been interesting. Yeah, I appreciate your time and uh, hopefully don't get too many um, criticisms on my data, but I'm always <laughs> fearful to share stuff as like a doctor is the profession, but uh, I guess my takeaway is moderation yeah yeah i agree and like i i think it's something we should just talk about more and like i want to just make it clear we're not like demonizing people for for drinking alcohol or or doing whatever like it's it's a part of society and that's fine but i just do think we need to like take a step back sometimes and look at if something's being a net benefit for a life or if it's a negative thing and and like what our goals are because if your goal is just to go run for fun yeah like whatever maybe doesn't affect your performance that much because it doesn't matter but like if you want to be an elite athlete maybe it is something that that should be looked at yeah and i mean i think that's perfect like if i when i am a hobby jogger i'll drink a couple beers a week still like i know the carcinogenic risk but me trying to be the most accomplished person i can be it's not it doesn't really have a space in my current training definitely so um, as we wrap up, then um, where can people find you? Like what's your Instagram and Strava and all that? My Instagram, I think, is just Justin underscore Grunewald. And I think Strava is just my name. Although I've always wanted to make like a fake Strava account just to take a bunch of crowns and piss people off. <laughs> you should, dude. <laughs> Leave all the titles just morning run. Exactly. <laughs> Shakeout jog. Like, yeah, post race shakeout. <laughs> Nice, man. We'll let you go then. It was fun talking to you and uh, we'll have to catch up soon. Yeah, good to see you.